this morning. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 3. Follow along then as we listen and read uh, God's holy uh, word. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith uh, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word, uh, that we would delight ourselves in hearing from you, in hearing your word, uh, that the Holy Spirit would be present, that you would seal this word into our hearts, make us uh, not only hearers of the word, but doers. Uh, may we respond in faith and trust. Lord, if there are areas of, of boasting and pride in our own lives, Lord, that may you Uh, convict us of them, that we might repent and walk in closer fellowship with you. Uh, We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by asking you a question, and the question is simply this. Has anyone ever taken credit uh, for something that you did? Uh, Maybe it was at work, and you did a specific project, and someone else mistakenly thought, Uh, that you didn't do it, but a third party did it, and so they credited that third party, and you said, hey, whoa, wait, what's going on here? Maybe you were in a situation where someone actually boasted that they did something, and you can think and say, well, wait a minute, I'm the one that did all the work. That sometimes happens for you high schoolers or college students when you're uh, in a group project. You know, they put you all in a group and inevitably there's at least two or three people that don't do the work. Sometimes there's one guy that doesn't do any work. Uh, And if you're the studious type, uh, I happen to be that way in high school and college, you always felt like you ended up doing all the work because you wanted it done right. You wanted to make sure it got done, period. And then you would get a good grade and and you'd hear that other person, that other guy or girl boasting maybe. Yeah, we we got an A on this project. We we were really good at it. And you said, what do you mean we? Maybe there have been other situations in your life where someone has taken credit or boasted in uh, something uh, that you did. The examples that we could multiply of that are, are just... Uh, numerous, and I'm sure we've all uh, been there in various ways. But when it comes to salvation, sometimes we are the ones that end up boasting, and we are the ones in our boasting that take credit from who? From God. God has accomplished salvation in such a way that you and I have, have nothing to boast in. And as Christians, we, we should not become prideful of those great and wondrous gifts that we have in our salvation. And it is easy at times to, to think of ourselves as, as better than other people, better than those unsaved over there, because we've come to saving faith. It can be a subtle boasting. It can be a pronounced and obvious boasting. 
But when you understand the gospel of God's saving grace, you and I have nothing in and of ourselves to boast in. Scripture says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If I am saved by grace alone, then I cannot boast in myself. This is where the rubber meets the road for for the doctrines of salvation, for these things that we believe every day, these things that we trust God for. This is where it gets immensely practical. If salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, why am I boasting in myself? Put it another way, if God has done all the work to save me, why am I trying to give credit to myself? If I am saved by grace alone, then I cannot boast in myself. First this morning, I cannot boast because salvation comes through faith, not by good works. I have no boast because I have contributed nothing to salvation. We talked about last week and what salvation was, and we receive it through faith by believing in Jesus Christ. The faith reaches out and grabs a hold of Christ. Who is the one that saves? It is not, per se, the faith that saves me. It is Christ that saves me. And my faith is an act of trust and reliance upon Him. If you are drowning and the lifeguard jumps into the pool and drags you out, you don't say to the lifeguard, I am so glad that I saved myself out of that water by holding on to you when you pulled me up. You were drowning. Water was in your lungs. And the lifeguard is the one who gets all the credit. Uh, Boast in the lifeguard. I cannot boast because salvation comes through faith not by good works. Notice how Paul says that boasting is excluded in verse 27. Then, what becomes of our boasting? There's almost like a, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't, Shouldn't I have something to boast in? What becomes of it? It is excluded. He's saying, there is none. You have nothing to boast of. Get that out of your mind. It's excluded. Put it away. We don't do that. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Paul is arguing here that boasting is ruled out. Why? Because salvation is not by a principle of good works. And here, Paul is making a little play on the word with the word law. Oftentimes, he's referring to the Old Testament law, but it can often mean, or at at times can mean a a principle or a reason or an order. You you think of just, you know, we we use law in a generic sense. You might say, well, that's the rule of the house uh, to your kids. It's not law like written in stone. But it, but it is something you operate by. And so, what Paul is saying here is, is that we are not saved because of a reason or a principle or a standard of good works. A law of good works, if you will. And, and the Jews, where would have they gotten the, the idea of good works? Where would they have gotten the standard for good works? From the law. The Old Testament law. And Paul is saying, no, 
We operate by the law of faith or the the principle of faith. Paul says in Galatians 3.12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now, the law in the Old Testament was given to the people of God so they might know how to walk as the redeemed. They had already been saved. They had already been brought out of Egypt. That picture of the great uh, redemption. And so what does Paul give, or what does God give them? He gives them the law, the standards to live by. But the law laid out a general principle. Do this and you shall live. Keep these things. These are the things that you live by. And Paul says the law is not of faith. It's a different principle, if you will. The law gives commands. Do this. Don't do that. Faith says trust in God. Now, properly understood, the law and the faith are not contradictory to one another, but particularly as the Jewish people at this time were using the law, uh, this causes it to butt heads with the true nature of saving faith. Let me just give you some examples from the New Testament. I'm sure you're very aware of these stories. But in Mark and also in Luke, there's the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, knowing, knowing the guy's heart, Jesus says, well, you, you've got to keep the commands. Jesus is saying, look, this is the standard. You have to keep God's commands. And, the, uh, and we would immediately think, well, I, I've never done that. I, I don't keep the commands. I, I need to trust you. What does the rich young man say? He says, well, I've done all that since youth. And then what does Jesus say? Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Why does Jesus say that? Do I have to give up everything that I have? All of if, if I don't give up my money, if you don't go out of here today and clear out your bank account and give it to the poor, does that mean you're not going to heaven? Like, is that the way we earn our place in heaven? No. But Jesus is exposing the man's heart. He didn't have a giving heart. And so when he had said, well, I've kept these things from the beginning, he's, he's made a boast about the law and about the commandments. You might think as well of the, the Pharisee who prays in the temple. Remember how two men pray in the temple? You have the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the tax collector, or the Pharisee, excuse me, says, I thank God that I'm not like this tax collector over here. I'm not a murderer, an adulterer. I tithe of everything. I fast twice a week, he says. What has he just done in his prayers? He's boasted before God. He's he's used the principle of works. He's used the law to make it about works to say, this is how I get to heaven. This is how I am good before God. And let me show you that. But if you understand that salvation comes only through faith, only through receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believing upon Him, you and I have nothing to boast in. We are like the tax collector crying out in the temple, so ashamed that we don't even look up to heaven and saying, Save me, O God! And Jesus says that's the guy who went out of there, out of the temple, justified on that day. 
boasting is excluded. When all of the gifts of salvation come to me only through the work of Christ, I have nothing that I can give myself credit for. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The King James, I think, has translated this, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. Who are you giving the credit to? Who are you giving the praise to? Who are you boasting in? If salvation, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, if all of that comes in Jesus Christ, and the only way I am in Jesus Christ is by believing, and that act of faith is a gift from Him itself, that He had to open my eyes to see them. Why in the world do you think that we get some sort of credit for this? We don't. We have nothing to boast in. So we move on in the uh, passage that we are justified through faith and not by works of the law. Look at verse 28. For we hold... Now he's, he's saying the boasting is excluded and then he's turning it over and saying, now this is how it works, so to speak. This is what we believe. This is the truth about salvation. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The law brings the standard of God's holiness. It demands obedience, but it does not contribute to my salvation. Galatians 3.12 again, for the law is not of faith. Paul says elsewhere in Galatians that, that the law cannot bring life. Uh, we see in Romans 2.2, for all who have sinned without the law perish without the law, but all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So, what do you find yourself to be if you are trying to use the law You find yourself to be a sinner. And what does that leave you? It leaves you without salvation. It leaves you judged by the law. And so, works of the law, things done in obedience to God, good things done in obedience to God, are excluded from contributing in any way to my salvation. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And when I say contributing to our salvation, I specifically mean contributing to that verdict of righteousness that we get from God in our justification. Certainly, on the day of judgment, we will have good deeds that we will be examined for that will be heavenly rewards. And we can flesh out how some of that works at another time, but the point is salvation that declaration of righteousness from God does not come through good things that I've done. This language here of apart from could not be more clear and it's where we get the idea of salvation by faith alone. It's it's saying there are two operating principles here. There is faith where you trust and there are works of the law where you obey God's commands and He says... We are saved by faith 
apart from, to the complete exclusion of, having nothing to do with works of the law. And so we are right when we say we are saved through faith alone. It is only by faith that I receive the gift of salvation. The righteousness that I have from God comes to me as a verdict that God has given and I receive it only because I believed on Jesus Christ. The righteousness that I have before God is not something that I've worked out in my life. It's not something that I've appropriated over time through receiving it and and, and obeying and keeping my life on track and being a good Christian. I'm saved by faith alone. Faith that saves, though, is never alone. In that, good works flow from the heart of faith. It's, it's kind of, I used this analogy before, but the analogy of a train engine. The cars are faith. The fruit of salvation. What is the engine that drives salvation. It is Christ. And, and how do we receive Christ? It is through the act of faith. I am saved not by any of my works. They contribute nothing in terms of my justification by faith. I cannot stand then before God and, and think to myself, or in my daily life somehow conceive that that. It's, it's so good that I finally responded to God, that I've contributed something, that I've done something along the way. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know this well. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. How much did you do to get saved? Nothing. Salvation is a gift. And you receive the gift, and you receive the gift through faith. But what did you do to be worthy of it? To get it? To have the privilege? Even the faith by which we are saved is something that the Holy Spirit worked in you. Now, it is your faith in the sense that you believed and you made a profession at some point. But it is also, you only did this because the Spirit imparted life to you. We talked about this in Sunday school, how the Holy Spirit is like the wind who blows where He wishes. That we are born of God, not of our own wills, but the will of God, John chapter 1. Ephesians 2.9, it is not the result of works, so that what? No one can boast. We need to think about boasting. And there's a strong temptation in our lives to think that we have done something for God. You get into a difficult time and and you start praying to God and, and you can get this attitude of, God, You owe me one here. I have walked faithfully with You. How could You let this happen to me? Why do good people go through bad times? Why do I, as the good Christian... Have this happening. Now it's understandable to wrestle with pain and hurt and sicknesses and illness. And and I'm not saying we shouldn't cry out to God. 
But we need to be very careful in our crying out to God that we do not slip into that subtle boasting. God, you, you owe me one. God doesn't owe you anything. When it comes to your salvation, God owed you nothing. God was not even obligated to send Christ. Now, He does this out of the riches of His love. But there was nothing inside of you yourself that compelled Him to do that. He does it by His own free will, by His own grace and goodness, by His own abounding love for you, which is not dependent upon you. And so, if I understand what we sometimes label as the doctrines of grace, that only God saves, and I am saved only through faith, and that faith can only be in Jesus Christ, and this is for the glory of God alone, if I understand these things, I must remove self-boasting from my heart. We need to recover the language of grace. When we're not humble before God and others, I think we demonstrate that we truly don't understand the graciousness of grace. I'm not saying that the person who lacks some humility isn't saved, but what I am saying is that the effects of that grace have have not sunk deeply into your souls. Sometimes we, we, we can have the, the doctrinal formulations, the statements, the, the I know these things are true and right. But they don't trickle down into the way we think of ourselves before God or the way we think of ourselves before others. And, and one of the easiest ways that this manifests itself is in boasting. In pride. Thinking that we're better than others thinking that because we've grown up in a Christian home, certainly we have privileges from that that we should be thankful for, but but we can subtly shift over into kind of thinking that we're better than other people. Even as a church, sometimes you can end up thinking that you're better than other churches, or that we're better than the unsaved that that are out there. It is to say that when we come before God, when we come before the foot of the cross, we are all equal. What value is it if my salvation does not bring me lower in humility and cause me to raise up God in the greatness of His glory? You see, when you boast in yourself in subtle ways, you are robbing God of His glory. We would never think of it like that but we are taking credit from the one who deserves it. If there's one thing that we need to constantly remember is that salvation is from God alone. And it's done for the glory of God alone. God does it in such a way so that God gets all the credit. God gets all the praise. This manifests to us that we have nothing and God has everything. God's purpose for creating the world was to shine His glory into it 
And the way that he determines to do that upon sin entering the world is having his son come down and die on the cross. And having the Holy Spirit come down and open our eyes and pierce our souls with the gospel. And God does everything from start to finish. And how dare we think that we have something that we contributed. We are taking glory from God. God gets all the glory. All the glory. We live in a day and age where inside the Christian church, that is being robbed. And that message is, is being undermined. God gets all of the glory. If you want to be a person and a people where God gets all the glory, it does start with sticking to the Word of God. It does start with nailing down and understanding what it says about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, but that also has to change your attitude about others. Second, this morning, I cannot boast in myself because everyone is saved the same way. And that's through faith. So we kind of have talked about the, the Godward side of this. Now we're going to look at sort of the, the manward side of this, the horizontal relationships, if you will. If I'm saved through faith and you're saved through faith, which one of us is better than the other person? Neither. Because God gets all the credit. I cannot boast of myself because everyone is saved the same way through faith. So, God is both the God of the Jew and the Gentile. Romans chapter 3, verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So oftentimes in the ancient world, the thinking was, you have your God, I have my God, my God rules over my territory of land, your God rules over your territory of land. A great example of this is when Shennacherib comes in uh, to surround Jerusalem. It's the time when Hezekiah is the king. And Shennacherib says, don't think that your God is going to save you because none of the other gods can save you. The idea was, my God was bigger than your God and he's beaten up all these nations. Ergo, my God has beat up your God. But Israel believed that there was only one God. The living and true God, the maker of heaven and earth. Therefore, he needs to be the God not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. Now, in the Old Testament, God had called out the people of God to specifically represent him. The great thing about the covenant in the Old Testament is where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. But as we look in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we see that that expands to all nations, that everyone who is saved by faith, God is in covenant with them and, and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. You see this at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 21 and 22. When we are all there, we are all saying he's our God and we're his people. And you know from the book of Revelation, it's people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. So go back to some of the ethnic distinctions here. Is God the Jewish God only? Or can Gentiles be saved by the same God? Does God only care about the Jewish people? 
Now, He has a special place for them. I'm not denying that. But He's the God of everyone. And you even have this warning in Deuteronomy. You know, by the time of, of Jesus, by the time of Paul, you, you do have a lot of Jewish people boasting about who they are. You know, we have the law. We are God's people. He's our God. All the way back in Deuteronomy, Moses had warned them, don't start boasting. I, I know Moses is a prophet and he's writing these things uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but I, I, I can't help envisioning Moses because of all the trouble he had with Israel. I, I can't help him just being a realist where he's kind of like, look guys, I know how you are. And I know what's going to happen. You're stubborn people. You're boastful people. You don't like my leadership. I know you're not going to like Joshua and the next guys. You grumbled. I can see you grumbling again. And so he says in in Deuteronomy 9, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust out the nations before you, do not say it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that God is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you that he may confirm the word of, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And we actually read that this morning in Genesis chapter 13. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess it because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget that you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in in the wilderness and for the day that you came from the day that you came out of Egypt until this place you have been rebellious against God and then he actually goes into reminding them hey remember that thing called the golden calf you know you think you're righteous remember how you made that idol like God is giving you the 10 commandments and you're making an idol at the same time don't boast in your own Righteousness. The temptation was down through the history of Israel, but particularly prominent in the day of Jesus and Paul. It is that boasting that we are righteous, that we are better. And why did God call Abraham or Abram when he called him? So that in you all the nations may be blessed. Israel was not better than others. In fact, God has said in Deuteronomy, why is God giving them the land? Because God made a promise. Who gets all the glory that Israel got the land? God does. Because Israel wasn't righteous. And and really, she was so sinful, uh, you're almost surprised that she got out of the wandering of the wilderness. And she didn't do that by the strength of her own goodness. She did that because God was gracious and merciful and turned away His wrath. God is the God of all people. When Paul preaches to the Gentiles in Acts, uh, to, in Athens, at the Areopagus, he says, God has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God 
and perhaps feel their way towards them and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. What is Paul saying? We don't have time to go into the whole sermon, but basically he's saying God is the God of everybody. And everybody needs to believe in Jesus because there is only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see both Jew and Gentile are saved the same way then. Look at verse 30. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. I can almost imagine that when this part got read to certain Jewish individuals, you could probably hear a pin drop in the room. Wait a minute. We've been circumcised and we've been taught because we're circumcised that we have the law. And we are not sinners like those Gentiles who are uncircumcised. Circumcision being the, the key mark of being in God's people and, and having the law and being obedient. And, and you can read examples from the, the book of Maccabees, which happened, uh, it's not Scripture, but it's stuff that happened between the finishing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And the Maccabees, it says, they rescued the law out of the hands of the Gentiles and they never let the sinners gain the upper hand. Who are the sinners? The Gentiles. And then uh, uh, Mattathias, one of the Maccabees, says, Now my children, show zeal for the law and give your lives for the covenant of our ancestors. Remember the deeds of our ancestors, which they did in their generations, and you will receive great honor and an everlasting name. Was not Abraham found faithful when tested, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? Do you see the subtlety there? Was not Abraham faithful, and it was credited to him as righteousness? Abraham was understood to be the paradigm of the guy who kept the law before the law was given. And because Abraham kept the law, God made a covenant with him. And God gave him righteousness. It's a subtlety. And we'll actually draw some of this out next week in chapter 4 as you see that that's not what Scripture says about Abraham. But the idea was... We have the law. We're circumcised. This is part of our salvation. And then Paul jumps right in there and says, you're saved only by faith. And guess what? The Gentile who gets saved, he's saved only by faith. His circumcision or uncircumcision matters nothing. His obedience to the law or disobedience to the law before he gets saved contributes nothing to his salvation. We are saved by faith alone. If salvation comes through faith, I have nothing in myself to boast in. I am not superior in any way to anyone else. And the Jews used their status in the law at times to boast about their superiority. Let me tell you two things when it comes to the area of boasting. First, I don't have any moral superiority to others in the eyes of God. I got nothing to boast about in myself or in my heart or the way I behaved. Nothing. Why? Because I'm saved only by faith. 
And if I'm saved only by faith, and you're saved only by faith, if I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I am saved only by faith, and you grew up as, as a horrible, rebellious child, and maybe you got saved late in adult life, and let's just say you were a drug addict, and you had all of these laundry lists of sins that would just be too gross to even mention in polite company, but you're saved by faith, Which one of us is morally superior? Neither. Because we have nothing to contribute. And when you understand this, it affects how you treat people inside the church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us came from bad backgrounds. Some of us came from really good backgrounds. Somebody may walk in here on a Sunday and they are exactly from the wrong side of the track, so to speak. We offer to them the same salvation that we have. And they have no less or more moral superiority than we had before we were saved. And some might walk in here and they are saved, but they don't look like us. They don't act like us. Uh, you might think, oh my gosh, I can't believe you know, they have that tattoo or that earring or whatever. You know, They are saved the same way that you and I are saved. The second area and I think it flows right from the passage here, is I do not have any ethnic superiority to others in any way. Jew and Gentile are are different races here. Yeah, I mean, Jewish people had the law, and so there's this element of of faith and religion. But, But at the end of the day, it was an ethnic divide, too. In Paul's day, there was a kind of elitism among Judaism. We are God's people, and those Gentiles are sinners. Remember how Peter in the book of Galatians would not eat with Gentiles? Even Gentiles that had made a profession of faith in Christ because they hadn't taken on the ceremonial aspects of the law. He kept that, that division going. I mean, like how awkward would that look if during the Fellowship Sunday uh, a group of us sat over at one table and said, I'm sorry, we, we can't eat with you? You know, not because, you know, we're eating gluten-free and you're not, but, but because we, we don't like you or something. You know, you're, you're still separate from us. And, and heaven forbid that it be something like race or something like the way that you look. That, that's just wrong. And it, and it gets back to the, the heart of the gospel. That people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are being saved by faith. And only by faith. I think sometimes, too, uh, in our day and age, we, we can boast about the superiority of, of Western civilization and even you know, look, at, look at what we built as a civilization and look at the influence of Christianity on, on Western civilization. And there's been some, you know, maybe a bunch of influence. And you could, you know, it's not all because of Christian. There's the Enlightenment and all kinds of other things. And that's a really complicated discussion for another time. But, but, but sometimes people can just go, well, we have a Christian heritage. And look at what we have. And we boast in our superiority. If we have anything, it's because of a gift of God. And God didn't choose the West or send the gospel into Europe first because he liked them better or they were superior or whatever it might have been. Don't undermine the gospel by thinking that we're better than other people. 
we often say, well, you know, we would never think that, Pastor. But it happens. And it's happening in our world. And it's happening around us even in 2017. It might not be full-on racism, but it can be a boasting and a bragging and and a sense of, I'm better than other people. Even between classes, you know, rich people, poor people, middle class, lower class, you know, inner city, suburban, uh, uh, country versus suburban or inner city, you know, well, we're better. We are not. Because we are all saved by faith alone. Then lastly this morning, just notice how this upholds the law. Verse 31, we do not overthrow the law by this faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It's so, so important that you understand Paul is not throwing out the Old Testament. He's primarily confronting a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. But the coming of Jesus Christ, as he said earlier, was testified to in the Law and the Prophets. The plan of God was always salvation by faith. And you see it in the books of the law. You see it in Genesis with Abraham. Salvation is only by faith alone and the law is given because of sin. The law is given, if you will, to keep us in line until Christ comes. Until the freedom that we have in Christ. Does the law serve a purpose? Yes. And now, in the grace of God, the law is written on the hearts. Praise God that we don't have uh, the, the old covenant ceremonial laws that we have to follow anymore. Um, Kelly, I always joke, brings a crab dish on Fellowship Sundays. And that is when I am thankful that we are under the new covenant. But you think about it. God writes these things on our hearts so that we might be transformed. Paul isn't throwing out the Bible. Paul's defending it and affirming it. And the plan and purpose of God used the law to point us to grace. And the law was never about, this is how I get saved by obeying these things. The law lays out the standard and shows you the only way that you can be saved is through faith in Christ alone. Don't use the commands of God, even the commands that you are obeying now in your Christian life. Do not use them for occasions to boast. You're saved by faith alone. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us, that your word would be living and active uh, in our hearts and in our midst. We just pray that you would use the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you could stand with us as we close out with this last song.